Hello and welcome to episode number 50 in a very um, refreshing studio. Tom, isn't it? The temperature. Um, well, chilled. Chilled. chilled <laughs> yeah. yeah. I oh, know heating and it's winter, but it feels good. Um, it is episode number 50, isn't it? Yeah, fifth, that's half. half. Oh, yeah, go on. Well, well, no, I saw you say it. Okay. I, I won't take it away. <laughs> yeah, no. I've, I've got nothing to add. Well, half a century. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, it's I, a big one, isn't it, 50? Big, big 5-0. Yeah, big 5-0 Even podcasters. though technically it's not, but we, we don't go there. That was when I had a random idea of renumbering stuff a bit like a, a dictator would. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't think I ever really grasped what was going on with the renumbering. I don't think I ever really grasped it either, <laughs> and I think it made no difference to anything and didn't make it easier for anyone either. So, yeah. Um, you may ask, who are we doing today? Work number 50, Rembrandt. Yes. Oh, you know, of course you know. I told you, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> it's not like you're not on the inside of what goes on at Modern Art is rubbish. <laughs> yeah. So I picked Rembrandt because. Basically, he is one of my favourites. I think he's like the Beatles. I, well, at least I thought he was like the Beatles. Basically, if you like music, I think it's hard not to like the Beatles or not appre- and not to appreciate the Beatles. They were bigger than Jesus, weren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, no, they weren't. <laughs> no, for, for any Christian listeners, I don't agree with that. Right, yeah. Well, people burnt Beatles records, didn't they? Oh, yeah. In, Amer- was, in America. Yeah, but no one burnt Rembrandt artworks i'd like to say so it's not in that respect that they're similar all oh, right yeah yeah um this is more to do with the fact that um you know i just think he's just so good he's just so revolutionary as an artist but i asked a couple of people who are really sort of you know really into their art and know a lot about it and they said no i don't like rembrandt oh, what you were surprised by that yeah i was that's why i've got a whole podcast to uh state the cases to why i am so surprised yeah, so I take it you're a big fan of Rembrandt. Yes. So he, when, when did you first see a Rembrandt artwork? Can you remember? Um, probably, I probably saw one as a child, but I don't have a sort of like a, a Rembrandt moment yeah, as to when I've seen it, but I've always loved his drawings. and Well, his pencil work. Well, mostly mostly pen and ink. Oh, pen and, and also, yeah. I, um, I, funny enough, from your old hometown of Sudbury, I went to see an incredible uh, Rembrandt action exhibition a few years ago as well so that really heightened my appreciation of him and also i mean let's not forget rembrandt was uh you know a great influence to people like picasso goya and van gogh so so he's inspired many other great artists after him yes he has but i have to say here now he had a life full of loss and he was really rubbish with money which we'll talk about really rubbish i guess it's a scale isn't it a spectrum yeah <laughs> yeah, there was a spectrum of rubbishness. He was high up the top. Um, so, <laughs> so, Tom, I know when we talk about artists, you're always keen to hear a biog, aren't you? Yeah, can um, we have a biog? Yes, we can. But not only is this a biog, it's a rhyming early biog of Rembrandt. So this is his early life. But I've made it rhyme. So Rembrandt, uh, is he from uh, Amsterdam or Holland? Wait. Wait, all right. This will all come out in the poem. I just wanted to know if it's East Coast or West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is not an M and N moment. I can tell you, yeah, it's, there's definitely no. Uh, mana mana. Yeah, and there's no uh, two-pack or biggie in qualities in this. Right, so so here it goes: the biog of uh, Rembrandt's early life. 
<laughs> in the city of Leiden, not out in the sticks, Rembrandt was born in 1606. His mum was a baker's daughter, so had good access to funds. His father was a miller, meant they were fairly well off compared to some. Rembrandt undertook a few apprenticeships, totaling around three and a half years span. For one of them, he spent six months in Amsterdam. His demand for his art in Leiden then just grew and grew. He was doing so well, he took his first pupil at just the age of 22. At this time, Amsterdam was a world centre of trade. Loads of wealthy patrons paid for artworks to be made. So after all this studying and early trading was done, he moved to Amsterdam in 1631. There he fell for the cousin of his Delia Saskia. Oh, we got, we got to, I've, I've made a mistake, so. Okay, come, just carry on. Let's not do, do any more of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, let's not do any more. Well, it was an incredible bit of rap. Yeah. Spoiled it for everyone. Yeah. Okay, well then. Anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> so there he, uh, he fell for the cousin of his dealer um, and... Uh, his art dealer? His art dealer. Cousin of his yeah. dealer. Yeah, his art dealer. Not, not Snoop Dogg. <laughs> not Snoop Dogg's cousin. <laughs> and her name was Saskia. And an interesting side note was uh, that uh, apparently he wanted to prove to Saskia's family that he could be a success. And that was a big drive to him, you know, become a rich, successful artist. Well, so it's like social mobility. Yes. He so, was. Yeah. I think he thought that Saskia was out of his league. Right, sad time. Bit of sad news for you. Uh, Saskia actually gave birth to four children, but they all died very young. And the only babe that survived was Titus, their son. So four children, three died, yeah. one survived. Yes. Yeah. So it's not quite like Henry VIII. Yeah, what's that? Divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. survived. Yes, yeah. that's it. Yeah, so go. the children are divorced, beheaded, beheaded survived yeah <laughs> <laughs> they sadly died they weren't beheaded no there was no beheadings going on so you can't remember the ch children of Rembrandt that way it doesn't yeah work. we should make a Rembrandt kid rhyme one of the first reasons I like Rembrandt is a little bit of a lesson for all of all, for all of us and um, basically it's fake it till you make it now, we've come across that many times in this podcast. Uh, yes, we have. You're talking about when we... we Maurizio Catalan. Maurizio Catalan and also... I don't know, go on, you Gavin Turk. Out. Oh, Gavin, Gavin Turk, Turk yeah. with his Clark as well. Certainly, uh, Rembrandt was one of the earlier people to do that. So, he was actually born Rembrandt Harmazun van Rijn. Now, that's quite a mouthful. So, he shortened it to Rembrandt. Like a prince? Yeah. It's like that. And he's, he actually thought, you know, if one name... The artist formerly known as Van Bryn. <laughs> <laughs> he thought, if, if one name is good enough for Michelangelo, it's good enough for me, I'm Rembrandt. So it's kind of like he's saying, you know, I'm already there. I'm, I'm Rembrandt. I'm the, I'm the man. And now, interestingly enough, this leads us on to our first work. Now, I can't stress enough on this case. Please head over to the website and... Uh, what's the website, Tom? modernartisrubbish.com stop what you're doing if it's driving operating machinery 
anything like that, please stop and head over to the Reb site where you can see all the images we're talking about. The Rem site. The Rem site. Is that what it's called for this <laughs> podcast? <laughs> now, Rembrandt did over 40 self-portraits during his life, so he was pretty self-portraited out by selfie the time he died. Selfie-obsessed. Selfie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was the king of the selfie. His selfies are better than any other selfies I've ever seen, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and this one we're looking at first is called Self-Portrait with a Gold Chain. Now, it's a self-portrait with his trademark beret, and he's around about the age of 25. So this is actually just before he got married. It's extremely well-painted uh, self-portrait. Just it's, to... it's like he's sitting in front of a giant dinosaur egg. Yeah, <laughs> there is a look of a dinosaur egg in this print. And uh, there's, there's a light shining on the left side of his face as he stares at us. With his goldy looking chain. Yeah, he's got the goldy looking chain, and that's the thing. Self portrait with a gold chain. Now, I've talked about fake it till you make it. Now, that's why he always painted himself with a gold chain. Um, I don't think he actually ever owned a chain. But a chain like this, I'm presuming from what you're saying, would, would put him in the upper echelon yes. of uh, rich merchants. Social- Rich merchants would be scene. wearing it now. But as I said in my in the the rap earlier, Amsterdam was full of rich patrons, which is one of the richest places in the world and a real hub for art. And again, he's got his chain and he's saying, Look, I'm Rembrandt and I've got a gold chain. I'm the man. Yeah. Does he look like the man to you in that? Well, knowing he's from Amsterdam, he looks like the dealer, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> now the thing is he, he very rapidly got famous and he started to make quite a bit of money. So he was always uh, going out and buying lots of curiosities like turtle shells and buying exotic things like armadillo shells and artworks and stuff. So he liked to spend... Now, admittedly, a lot of the stuff was used in his work as well. But he used it for creating his pieces? Yes, so there would be objects in some of his paintings because he was... He well, did so like a, a turtle shell, he put the red in it and the armadillo skin he'd put some green in it to mix no 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 <laughs> no, no 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 not as not as palettes actually just <laughs> now on to the next one and this is what is considered probably his first major work his first like this is it this is pretty yeah. damn good now bearing in mind he's about 26 when he paints this and it's called the anatomy lesson of dr nicholas tulp and this greatly grew his reputation as an artist. Now, what it is, it was a work that was commissioned by the Guild of Surgeons. And it was um, to commemorate a big event that happened in Amsterdam only once a year. Now, what we're looking at is uh, a lot of surgeons and a lot of uh, possibly even barbers, because the Guild of Surgeons and Barbers were the same at the time. You can tell, can't you? They've all got the same hair. It's <laughs> like they're like a hair... Well, well, I was going to say quintet, but there's what? Hang on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them. Yeah, I think it's because they both had sharp objects. I think that's probably probably why. And they've all got that same beards. Yeah, and they're all in very nice white starched collars. And they're all standing around. It's clearly, this is a public demonstration. And there's a cadaver on a table that's lying in front of them. And in the main centre of the piece is uh, the Dr. Nicholas Tulp. He's and, the one with the hat on, yeah, I presume. Yeah, and you know more about medical stuff. So what's he doing at the moment? He's grabbing something with his, with a pair of forceps, is he? What's he look like he's grabbing? 
like tendons or yeah, something. Tendons, yeah, yeah, tendons, yeah, tendons. It's like the skin's been pulled off of this guy's arm. Yeah. Uh, so he's he's got a, an implement and and everyone's looking at him what he's doing. So it's like a yeah. public yeah, dissection. It's, it's, isn't these it? these were so popular these that they actually included a banquet and a torchlit procession. So it was a really quite an event. So that's why he was hired to capture this event. And what's interesting is in the actual cadaver that's on there, he was a thief. It's just freshly hung. And they were the only people legally allowed to be used for these kind of surgical sort of displays. I say criminals. Yeah, basically criminals. Now, also interestingly, people would even pay to be in this painting. So every person that features in that painting has actually paid money to be in it and Dr Tulp who's right in the centre who would have paid the most to appear in the work so if you're a poor surgeon you're done for and yeah. forgotten so so wealthy wealthy surgeons yeah. I guess would pay to be in it would yeah. that be a bit of kudos on their medical career getting in a Rembrandt painting well yeah so, I mean it's now Dr Nicholas Tulp is probably one of the most famous doctors in the world who's ever lived oh, apart from Dr Livingstone I presume yeah, because of this painting yeah, yeah, there you go. So that's it. It's our, uh, his name is assured, isn't it? For you know, he's going to be remembered for a long, 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 long time. Yeah, well, particularly in the art world. Yes. This, like this next painting is such an important work, one of the most famous paintings in the world. And it's called The Night Watch. It was created around 1642. I'll tell you how how important this is. Um, the main museum of Holland is called the Rijksmuseum. And the whole museum was rebuilt around this painting. So basically, this is the centrepiece of the entire museum. Well, is it a massive? I've been to that museum, so I've probably seen this painting. It's actually huge. It's 12 feet by 14 feet. And it was even bigger because it was actually cropped 70 years after. Um, and I'll tell you how important this, this painting is in the psyche of of Holland. That I, I watched a, a documentary about its return to the Rijksmuseum people actually lined the streets to see the lorry that was carrying the work of art back to the museum, back to its home. So yeah. people were actually lined the streets and clapping. Clapping. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's such an important work. As and, signified by the claps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so in the Rijksmuseum, it's actually listed as Civic Guardsman of District 2 under the command of Captain Franz Bannock Cock. So the guy with the red, uh, like, scarf thing across yes. him, that's that captain. That's the main man, yes, yeah, and that. he probably would have paid the most money to be in this painting. Now, that was the original, like, the working title, and the reason why it's called The Night Watch is because people thought that it was a painting that was uh, represented a scene that happened at night. Well, um, because of the natural fading of the painting. Also, I, say, I say natural, fading might be... Yeah, I don't know. It could be just view. a build-up of dirt and a build-up of uh, which made the which always makes paintings look darker. Now, I also have to explain what the watch part means. Now, this was because it was commissioned by the officers and civic guardsmen of the district of Amsterdam. Now, what this is a painting of? It's a painting showing uh, one of the district's sort of militia. Now, militia they were like the army to protect Amsterdam against any invaders. 
or any people that were trying to threaten Amsterdam, the militia would be called. Any rowdy stag parties going to Amsterdam for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, in 1642, when this was painted, there wasn't any real threats as such to Amsterdam. So this was more like a sort of a... Uh, ceremonial kind of club that people would pay to it be. Was, it was a time of peace. Yes, it was. So this was more like a ceremonial club that people would pay so they'd have processions and, you know, they'd probably have nights of, like, meetings and drinking and making merry. And it's more like, you know, a club for very wealthy sort of people. Like the Conservative Club. <laughs> yeah, very much. Now, this painting, if I actually describe it for you that are listening, but again, I would recommend going onto the website. Um, it's in the centre. There's the captain of the militia, and he's giving orders to his lieutenant to advance, and they're dressed in their ornate militia uniform. This actual painting is filled with life, and it's almost like a historical painting showing a moment in time. For instance, there's there's someone banging on their drum, I can see. There's even a dog there that's barking. You've got lots of men in there carrying their pikes. And then there's some, some man's shot his musket. So you can see the smoke just behind the head of the lieutenant. And then someone's blowing, blowing the gunpowder out of his musket. So there's lots going on. There's a guy at the back with a banner. And then there's a mysterious little glowing kind of figure of a girl in the background. And uh, the face uh, looks very much like his wife, Saskia. And in the back, there's Rembrandt. And he's now so f well known by the time he paints this painting in 1642 that all he has to do is just put a picture of him. You can see part of his beret and just his eye. And, so you that's know, like self-referencing. It's almost like his logo. You can tell it's, oh, that's Rembrandt. And... Um, and the other thing, which is really, again, this is another thing that makes Rembrandt so revolutionary at the time. Before, when people asked for uh, portraits of their uh, their guild or their uh, portraits of their militia. Their chess their, club. The district, yeah, their chess club. <laughs> yeah. They were very staid, all in a kind of like a very formal pose. They might be standing, but they're not really, there's nothing happening. There's no action. There's no story. He's come along and he's suddenly created this painting that's full of action, full of life. And also he's dressed them how they would have looked, not how they look now. So that is why this is such an important painting. Right, yeah. And it is a really good painting. I like it. It's just got loads going on. It's like a still from a movie almost. It's got a drum, on, a drum in it. Yeah. Is that what gave you the idea of doing a sort of beat rap? Was it the perhaps, drum in perhaps. this painting? <laughs> I did talk about his lack of financial acumen. The next thing I'm going to talk about is, uh, you know, there's a build-up to it and a bit of tragedy. Love, debt and etchings. Now, around the time of the Night Watch, Rembrandt's wife died. Rembrandt, he, you know, he was upset, but of course he, he had Titus's wet nurse to console him. Goethe, Dirks. Wet nurse, is that like a sort of baby helper? Yes, yes, yeah. so, and sort of maid as well. So, so he, she had, he had her to uh, help him, wink, wink, through through the tough time. Oh, so he got together with the wet nurse. <laughs> well, yes, yes, but we, we we don't know that for sure, or we do, yeah, we do, yeah. Now, basically, there's an issue with the will. Now, what the will said was, and this was quite common in those days, if Rembrandt got married 
Got remarried. Got remarried. Thank you. Got remarried. <laughs> yeah. He would have to give half of the estate straight to his son. Titus. Yes, Titus. Yeah. If he did not remarry, then Titus would only be able to claim his half of the estate when he came of age, which is about 25. So that's quite a long time. How old was uh, Titus at this point? Very young. Titus would have been... A, he was still a, a boy. Still, still still a baby. You know, still very, very young. So, of course, Rembrandt had to live in sin with his uh, with, with Goethe. He could never marry her because then he would have to give half of his estate to his son. And obviously, he didn't like Titus. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that. It's the fact that he'd have to find all this cash to transfer and he didn't have any liquid assets. Yeah. So during this period, you can imagine he's he's upset. You know, his his wife's just died, so his inspirations died. So he produces far less paintings commissions, and he falls behind on the loan repayments for his house. So he turns his eye towards etchings. He just changes his style. And he starts oh, doing yeah, more I've been, etchings. I've been to his house, Rembrandt's house. I've yeah, been to yeah. Is it good? House. Wasn't it like it was a good experience? Yeah, they've tried to like make it. Uh, as it was in the 17th century yeah and the rooms where he do certain things you can walk around them and see yeah. what you do in each room and you've got his studio his meeting room oh that's cool so it's it it really interesting yeah his music studio where he do his rap work with Snoop Dogg <laughs> <laughs> did you see his etching room as well was his etchings is that what prompted you yeah there was yeah. etchings yeah yeah they're amazing. I mean, they're really revolutionary, those etchings. Some of the works he creates, they're almost like photographic snapshots of a moment. This leads us on to the next artwork, which I've picked, is his friend Yan Six. I don't know why he's called Yan Six. I don't know what the six means. It's probably his name. <laughs> <laughs> 1647, this etching was done. And now his friend asked him to do a work, and he specifically asked him for an etching. And again, it looks like someone's taken a photo of someone and just said, like, pose next to the window. Just kind of, very he casual. looks a bit like a blonde Brian May. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> he's looking very casual and he's, he's, he's leaning against the wall and behind him is a window and there's a lot of light coming through the window. And the rest of the room is really brilliantly uh, rendered in sort of shadow and he's casually reading. You know, his room looks very fine, doesn't it? I think, as again, a lot of people like to be portrayed with all their sort of fine things. Finery. Yeah, their finery. That's finery, right. winery and dinery. <laughs> <laughs> And so this, to me, is a you know it, it represents a really kind of like a, a quite a revolutionary moment in in etching, you know. What because Brian May hadn't been captured before, <laughs> <laughs> no one had ever thought of him blonde. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or what was it about it that was so new? It's the you know this and with other of his etchings they had a lot more life there's a lot of shadow the quality of them great contrast of light how casual uh, Jan Six looks in his pose it doesn't look like Jan Six in his chess club that's for sure no no it's not it's so not formal it's just in a little personal yeah, yeah, moment yeah right on to the next thing the next thing I want to talk about and the title is Lock Me Up Lover Dun, 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 dun. Lock me up, lover. 
After a while, Rembrandt, you know, no longer has uh, deep feelings for Goethe. Yeah, well, uh, it's not going very well. And he's also actually got another house servant as well in 1647 called Hendrik Stoffels. Now, I'm not insinuating anything was going on at that point when he hired her. Um, but all the Hendrix and the Etchinghams, it's getting starting to sound like the 60s again. <laughs> After a while, he's realised he doesn't, you know, have feelings for her. Now, of course, this causes a bit... I, I ima- I'm imagining, because there's no real detail of this. Again, they're living in sin, so there's a lot of pressure there on them. You know, she wants to marry him. And, uh, you know, because it's not good, f- good for the reputation to, to be living with someone unmarried. So in 1649, she goes to the Chamber of Marital Affairs in Amsterdam, stating that they slept together. And they say, well, you know, Rembrandt, what would you say about this? What? So she was expecting them to go get him and frog march him to the altar? Basically, yes. I, I think that's what was happening. And Rembrandt said, look, I don't have to confirm that, you know, I've slept with her or not. Because, you know, I never promised to marry her in the first place. I think he might have been telling Porky's at that point. I reckon he might have said, yeah, you know, I'll marry you. Anyway, the chamber actually finds in her favour and said to Rembrandt, right, if you're not going to marry her, you've got to pay her 200 guilders for life. 200 guilders... Oh, yeah, for life. Oh, yeah. So but she's not still looking after Titus. Titus no. is grown up now. No, Titus is still young. He's, yeah. And so this is 200 because he's, you know, he's let her down. Man, if you had to pay for all the people you'd slept with, we'd all be f***ed, wouldn't we? Boris Johnson. <laughs> Boris <be>. Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> well, he could probably afford to pay off 100 women or whatever. <laughs> 200 guilders, I don't know how much that is. Right. Well, just to let you know how much 200 guilders is. Um, now, I got this from vanoslabruja.org. They said on their site that a, a labourer would earn six guilders 50 per week or just over 300 guilders per year. And a carpenter earned nine guilders or just over 450 guilders per year. So 200 is a, is a kind of low wage, yearly yeah, wage. Yeah, but it's still a wage. It's basically yeah. paying her wages for, for a year. Well, how would you feel if you'd got offered that if you were in her shoes? I'm just feeling broke now, all the women wanting 10 grand a year or whatever. No, I'm talking about put yourself <laughs> yeah. in her shoes. <laughs> yeah. Put yourself in her shoes. <laughs> well, I don't know. She's like feeling let down because he's no longer yeah. wants to have a relationship yeah. with her. And it's, it's a bit like... Um, Oh, what's uh, Paul McCartney's ex-wife? Not Linda, the one after. Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit of a scandal, isn't it, really? Yeah, a bit of a scandal, yeah. Yeah, well, as far as Rembrandt's concerned, he doesn't want anything to do with this, I yeah. presume. Yeah, well. So, anyway, mm. she is not happy about this, and she angrily rejects it and says, no, this is ridiculous. She angrily rejects what? The, the 200 the, 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 the money. Yes, she said, oh, right, yeah. Yes, she, so she, she doesn't was, want that. She doesn't want it. So basically what happens is, is Rembrandt gets together with her family. and they With her are, family? Yeah, with her family. Arranges to get her to committed to a house of correction. Uh, basically, it's a women's prison. A women's prison. Yeah, so that was a bit. So, so that's that was the end result. She ended up getting put away by Rembrandt and her family. They conspired to get her put to a women's prison. Now, 
He this, could he could have just painted an unflattering picture of her, couldn't he? Yeah, and just give it to us. Yeah, It's now there's a, the thing is with Rembrandt. There's a lot of blanks in the history because he obviously tried to keep a lot of it out of the limelight. We don't know what the exact circumstances are. It might may have been that she might have been quite stressful to him, and she may well have not been in the in the best of mental health well you know with these celebrities all the drink and drugs involved you, you just don't know <laughs> do you if he's hanging out with um snoop dogg yeah no he's hanging out with yan six at the time yan six yeah if he's hanging out with yan six well that says it all doesn't it and the uh the hairdressers guild <laughs> you know what those boys are like after yeah. hours <laughs> So, but, you know, now this is all, that's all in the past. His ex is now in prison. You know, you can move on. It doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound right the way I just said that. But So he's now living with Hendrik Stoffels, his house servant, or is she? All right. So, yeah, you think another lover of Rembrandt? Yeah. Oh, Anyway. I'm so what, they were lovers, apparently, the yeah, story yeah, goes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, you know, it is because there was a, uh, they actually was a baby born uh, a few years later. So that was actually in 1654, he had a baby with her. So that's kind of like quite strong proof there. So anyway, he's living with her. So what was the baby they had called? Cornelia. Of course, he's uh, he's now feeling a lot better and his, his style, he starts to think, you know what, I want to start painting again. But I want to start painting for me rather than what my patrons want. So obviously he still has to make money, so he still has to paint for patrons. But his style starting to become more loose, you know, more what he wants to do, more kind of like almost impressionistic in parts, some of the, his brush strokes and his later work. And also there's another problem because he had pupils uh, that he taught to paint in the style of Rembrandt. Yeah, and so they, in the house that me and Joe visited in Amsterdam, yeah. they had his teaching rooms. Yes. Where the pupils would come and study under him. But it's come back to bite him on his bum because now his, pay, his pupils are so successful, he has to change his style as well because he doesn't want to compete with his own pupils. Yeah. Why pay for Rembrandt when you can get a painting in the style of Rembrandt cheaper? Oh, right, yeah. So there's two reasons why he has to change his style. Yeah. Because he wants to, and also because it's not it's not good for him to start painting in his old... It's not good for business anyway. No, no, no. So, 1653, a millstone of a property. So, 1639, he bought a house that was valued at 13,000 guilders, which actually works out to be $780,000 in today's money. Property's expensive in Amsterdam. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of money. And it's right in the middle of Amsterdam. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, right. yes. Near the train station. People who lent him the money, were, you know, they're very accommodating. They said, look, you know, rent, whatever, you know, whenever, you know, you know don't, don't worry. And they would, they would let him off quite a lot. So he's behind with his rent. You know, this is 1653, as I said. He should have paid off the loan on his house. And he still owes 8,000 guilders. 
Yeah. Basically, his uh, lender says, that's it, I've had enough, you've got to pay it. So he's thinking, wow, well, I've got to get all this money, otherwise I'm out. He knows some quite high-profile rich people. So he goes up to one person and says that he knows, can you lend us 4,000 guilders? And he says, yeah. He said, well, what are you going to give me? He says, I'll tell you what, if I don't pay you back in a year, you can have everything I own. I mean, that's that's not a good move, is it? No, it's not a good move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then Rembrandt finds another person he knows. and well, says, does the same trick. Says, uh, yeah, if you give me like 4,000, 4,000 odd guilders, I'll, uh, I'll pay it back to you. If I don't pay it back to you in a year, I'll, you can have everything I own. And then he went to his friend Yan Six. Now, you can't go too big with your close friends. So he said, oh, can you lend me like a thousand guilders or so? And if I don't pay you, I'll pay you back everything I own in a year. You can have everything I own. So he's done to three people, he's promised everything he owns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sneaky Rembrandt. He's, uh, so a year passes. What do you think? He hasn't paid any of them anything. No. So, but what he does do is he goes to his friend, he says, look, Jan, I'm sorry I haven't paid you, but can I give you, can I give you this painting? You know, so he gave him a paint, uh, a painting, portrait. Didn't take any money from him. It was like to just to say sorry. Because the painting of Rembrandt's is worth about 500 guilders at least. So really he just needs to knock up 10 paintings, doesn't he? Well, yeah, he needs to do a lot of paintings, but, you know, his work may not be as much in favour at the time, you know, as it was before. You know, he's got all his students coming out producing their own little Rembrandt styles, which actually caused a lot of problems later on, you know, because a lot of times people would think something was Rembrandt and then it ended up being the student of Rembrandt. Sure. So Rembrandt's, he's getting really bad financially. So sneaky Rembrandt, what's he do? In 1655, he holds a little sale of some of his goods. No one quite knows where the cash went. And then a year later, he files for bankruptcy. So what happens is the creditors come around their house and all this stuff he's been buying, his lovely turtle shells, you know, his his art that he'd bought, you know, from other the painters. turtle shells that he was using as yeah, a yeah. palette. <laughs> <laughs> Those lovely things, you know. And they're, they're starting to take take away all that stuff. And he thought, well, you know, this is obviously not good because he loves his art collection that he's bought, you know, all, all the things he's bought, all the fine stuff. It's all been taken away. And th- he did try at one point to uh, sign the house over to his uh, son. The creditors thought, yeah, right, we're not having that one. That didn't really work. So he hatches another sneaky scheme. Now, bear in mind, he's just been declared bankrupt, right? So basically, when you start earning money, creditors will come forward and say, look, we want that money. You need X to live on, and we're taking away all this money, and this is how much you're going to be left with. You know, that's how it works generally. I don't know if it worked like that in Holland, but it works like that generally. So he thinks, oh, well, I've got to get around this somehow. Yeah. This is actually called fraud, though, but... <laughs> What he did was, he thought, I know what I'll do. Uh, he got Titus and uh, Henrik, his, uh, his partner, to start a, a little art company. And basically, he was an employee of the little art company. So that they paid him. He didn't earn anything. He just got paid a wage by the art company. Yeah. I don't know how successful he was, but that was what he did to get around his creditors. He still I mean, had to... If you're a creative person, you need someone to manage your business, don't you? 
Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> as we've discovered with Wim Hof. Yeah. He was going nowhere and his son's just turned him into a, a massive brand. Yeah. Now, a short advertisement break. Rembrandt! Rembrandt, open up! Oh, hello, sir. Rembrandt, I'm here on behalf of the Amsterdam Creditors Organisation and we're here to collect stuff to the value of at least 10,000 guilders. Okay, sir, bear with me one second. I've got something just for you. Mm, what's this? What's this? Oh, here we are. I have these ten turtle printouts here. Uh, they're all signed by me, of course. These turtle actions are incredible. Well, they are high definition. They must be absolutely priceless. That's absolutely fine. You owe us no more money whatsoever. Okay, gentlemen. Good day. Bye. Off goodbye. <laughs> Little do they know, I went and got those down in the Modern Artist Rubbish Guild in central Amsterdam. But you, as Modern Artist Rubbish listeners, can go straight to the website and download your own high-definition turtle prints. Of course, they're not signed by me, but, you know, you could always sign them yourselves. So, just head over to modernartisrubbish.com and subscribe to our email list to get your free artwork and to be updated on the latest Modern Art is Rubbish news. I want to talk about another painting of his. Okay. Now, this next painting is called The Jewish Bride and it was painted yeah, around 1665 to 1669. There's not a specific date on it. In 1663, sadly, his lady friend who he lived with died. So he never was going to get to marry her or settle down. And in an ironic twist of fate, you know, he was always wanting to marry her, but he couldn't because Titus would inherit half of his estate. And that was the reason for a long time why he couldn't get married. And now what happened was that the creditors then actually decided that Titus was in charge now Titus was the person that should have got the money from from Rembrandt before all other creditors oh right okay yeah so the thing that that Rembrandt was avoiding so hang on at this point his bad money managing skills he owes half of his estate to his son his whole estate to one of his lenders his whole estate to another lender and his whole estate to his friend as well yes basically and uh, as well as his debt to the landlord it would seem so I don't know what the actual (laughs) (laughs) I don't it's a bit like when Robert with uh, John Lee Hooker was he signed seven record deals all at once was it or something yeah Jimmy (laughs) Hendrix as well did he sign several record deals he signed three, yeah. Oh, yeah. With the same work. Just the na- <laughs> nature of creativity. I don't know what happened when the bankruptcy went through after all those separate sort of verbal deals that he did. But basically, they now said that he doesn't have to pay all these other creditors first. He has to make sure that his son sort it out first. So what the bankruptcy chamber does or the bankruptcy... Guild. Guild or whatever it's called here... They basically say that all the creditors that have got all this money have to give it back to his son Titus. Oh, right, yeah. So ironically, he could have married Henrik, but she died. That's, you know, that's painful irony. Yeah. And now this brings us back to this painting, the next painting I want to talk about, which I just mentioned, The Jewish Bride. This painting was a commission. Basically, 
The people who commissioned the painting asked him to paint them as biblical figures of Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah, the stories, they travel to a strange lands and they have to pretend to be brother and sister in certain places. And it's an, Isaac's an older man and Rebekah's a lot younger. So it's very similar to Rembrandt and, you know, the relationship we have with Hendrik. This painting is a really beautiful painting, you know. You've got you've got this person and he's tenderly holding and, and embracing this his uh, his love. I think it's one of the best paintings of love that I've seen and of of affection. And what I think is is there's a bit of Rembrandt's ghost in there because he lost his lover and he's painting something that he knows he'll never be able to have because he's now getting quite old as well. He's in sort of like in his late fifties, early sixties. Okay, yeah. And now this painting is was considered by Van Gogh so good, like this painting so much that he once wrote to his brother Theo that he would gladly have given 10 years of his life to be able to sit for 14 days in front of the Jewish bride with barely a crust of dry bread to eat. So he would have traded up 10 years of his life for 14 days to sit in front of this painting with barely a crust of bread to eat. Yeah, that's almost an insult, barely a crust. You, you know, if he really loved it, he would have said, he'd just sit for 14 days with no food or water. I mean, come on, Vincent. <laughs> Ten years of his life. It's so ironic that we've now got the internet and we can spend as much time as we like and all the takeouts as well. Yeah. How times have changed. Yeah. Oh, you're not allowed takeouts in museums, though. Surely. Uh, young man, Vincent... Please, no takeaways in here. This is the Rijksmuseum. Now, please, can you take that outside? <laughs> right. And put your ear back on, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so, like all good stories... Sadly, they must come to an end, and Rembrandt died, as most people seem to. Should we do it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not doing it. <laughs> no, no dying sound effect. <laughs> yeah. So now, sadly, he lived to see his son Titus die in 1668. This guy is broke, and he's seen his son die, and every woman he's loved die. Now, he also got buried in a pauper's grave, so they don't know where his remains are because at the time a pauper's grave you basically would just rent out a plot and then after a certain short period of time your body would be interned and I don't know put somewhere else I suppose yeah but I mean bones aren't that much use his artwork survived yeah Montjuan was buried in Brooklyn (laughs) is that another another friend of Snoop Dogg's (laughs) so I want to talk about one of the reasons why I think he's such a revolutionary modern painter. And I've picked another one of his self-portraits to finish off with. And it's called Self-Portrait with Two Circles, 1665 to 1669. Now in the portrait, Rembrandt is holding his brushes, his palette and his mole stick. Now a mole stick is that long kind of stick that painters use to steady their arm with uh, when they're painting. And the painting is quite large. It's 114 centimetres by 94 centimetres. And it's really recognisable because in the background it has parts of two circles showing. 
Now, we've seen circles in the background on his self-portraits before. Yeah, but I think that was more of a basic background, whereas this is a kind of like a very modern kind of statement almost, I feel. It's more circular. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, one of the reasons they feel that he might have done this is because people looked at his new style. It was almost impressionistic. And people didn't quite understand because he didn't treat painting a kind of like the older style of painting. He was always experimenting, forging head. A lot of people thought, oh, Rembrandt, he can't draw very well. And that's why he just paints so loosely. It's because he's not actually very good. So what he's done is, this is one of the theories, is that he's drawn circles in the background because to draw a perfect circle it's almost like the great, the one of the most difficult things that anyone in art could do. It's like showing, I'll show you how good I am at drawing. And Giotto, the early Renaissance painter, did this to show how good he was at drawing. He drew a perfect circle. Yeah. So this is almost like a statement of saying, I am Rembrandt. I am still the man. I can draw. And he's got these circles in the background. But they look so modern. If you took Rembrandt out of the painting, you look at that background, it looks like almost like a 20th century work of painting. It's kind of like an abstract piece of art. Looks a bit like Roger Taylor. Roger Taylor? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why so many Queen references. Oh no, he looks like Roger painting. Taylor in this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, maybe even heralded the, the rival of the band Queen. The rival? <laughs> <laughs> the arrival. Oh, the arrival, uh, yeah. yeah. Now... If you look at this painting and you look at his palette and his brushes, it's almost like he's just done a few quick sort of strikes of his paintbrush and quick lines and it's very fluid and it's kind of, it's it's almost impressionist. Sure. Yeah. yeah. A long, long time before impressionism came around. Yeah, but he's uh, a precursor to it with this painting particularly. I wouldn't be surprised if there were a lot of the impressionists had seen Here's some of well, the we know they works. did. Van, Van Gogh had got his takeaway in the Rijksmuseum and got kicked out. <laughs> post-impressionist was Van Gogh. Um, was he post-impressionist? Post-impressionist, yeah, 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 post. So this painting, a portrait that is a really modern portrait, and yet it was painted in you know the late seventeenth century. Yeah, or mid mid late 1660s. Oh yeah, 1665. When to did the impressionists really like come to the fore? Well, you're talking the late 1800s. Yeah, so yeah, 200 years later. Yes. Yeah, we're talking like Monet, Manet, Manet, Monet. Yeah. All those yeah. Uh, A's. All those And that is a uh, that so concludes our Rembrandt. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> so, Tom, anything else to add? Uh, no, thanks for like showing me a bit of Rembrandt. That's really interesting. It's it's funny because I've seen all these in uh, Amsterdam. And didn't know so much about him until today. Oh, good. Well, as I say, please head over to the website, Modern Art is Rubbish, uh, where you, you listening can find the paintings and also the links to our Facebook. And you can email us at info at modernartisrubbish.com. 
I think if he had songs, one of them would be called The Debt Collector's Rap. How'd that go? Well, <laughs> you know how my bit's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it's just buyers then, Tom, isn't it? It's just buyers, I do believe. Buyers, I do believe. Buyers, I do believe. <laughs> 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 